Good morning, again. So I heard my mic was going in and out, so if you re I might have to reach for this mic later on if it keeps happening, but apologize in advance if something happens. Anyways, hi. Hi. We're going through a series called For the World, and we're going through the book of Luke, specifically chapter 9 and 10, and today we are finishing up chapter 9. Oh, yay. I know. I know. When you woke up this morning, you were like, I can't wait to finish chapter 9 of Luke, and yeah, lucky for you, that's what we're doing today. All right, so... Um, Today we're going through Luke chapter 9, 57 through 62, but just so you know, we're also going to be looking at Mark chapter 8, verse 31 through 34 for context. And so when, when I start talking about Mark, you're like, that's not Luke. I, I'm fully aware of that. Okay. So today I want to talk about this interesting idea called fine print, the fine print. So you probably watched commercials before where... Um, uh, like for medication, right? You're watching something like, if you have a headache, please take this drug. Buy this drug from us. And then they start talking really, really fast and with this little print on the bottom. It says like, it might cause nausea or throwing up or it may cause dizziness or it might even cause death. And you start thinking like, is it even worth taking this medicine for this because I might die, right? The fine print is the thing that helps you realize, is it worth taking this, this medicine? Is it worth buying this car? Now that I read the fine print, now, now that I see the full story, is it worth taking the risk, right? Or if, if I don't know what your experience is, uh, recently we bought a house, like, a, like half a year ago, and when we looked at the fine print, we read through everything, you know, just to make sure that we're not missing anything, because somewhere down the line, we don't want surprises, like, surprise, you owe us this much more money, or you know, ha, it's not really a house, it's actually made out of popsicle sticks. Or, you know, like, I want to make sure that we know what we're getting, and it's actually smart for you to read the fine print. If, if you guys use Google, you've, lately it's been on the news, or Facebook, right? Because if you read the fine print, you find out that your privacy doesn't really exist, right? Like, they own everything you put on Google. And yeah, so it's, like, once you read the fine print, it's, it's at that point that you decide, is it worth it? Should I actually sign on, sign on the dotted line? Should I actually agree with this? Should I, is it worth purchasing or signing up for this thing? So when it comes to Christianity, there's a lot of things in the fine print that Jesus is like, I want to make sure I disclose this to you first before you say, yes, I want to follow you. Because when you read the fine print, it's, it's at that point that he's, Jesus looks at the crowd that's following him. He's like, it's, it's when I disclose to you the fine print of what it means in the cost for following me, like, that's when I discover if you are either a, a Jesus consumer or a Jesus follower. You see, people have been following Jesus for days now in this story, okay, that we're reading in the book of Luke. People have been following Jesus for a while, and they're watching him do some amazing stuff. People are watching him heal people, cast out demons, and at, at one point, they get hungry, and Jesus just multiplies food, and, and it's like, whoa, where did all this food come from? And after a while, you realize, man, following Jesus is kind of fun. Like, you get to see all this stuff that you, never, you rarely see or never seen before, right? And, and when he teaches, he teaches in a way that riles up a certain group of people, but it gives other people hope. I'm just going to keep watching this guy, Jesus, because he's really interesting. But you see, truth be known, you're just there because you want to be entertained, right? There's something in it for you, and that's why you're following him. That's... that's consumerism Jesus. Like, you just want to follow Jesus because of the perks that's involved, because you benefit from following Jesus. And that's true. There are benefits for following Jesus, okay? But as the days go on and gets closer and closer to the day that he dies on the cross, he starts to weed out the crowd and says, if you want to follow me, at this point, I'm not really looking for consumers. I'm really looking for followers. And so Jesus wants to disclose the fine print. So 
Uh, before we get to the fine print, I want to kind of give you some context as to what's happening in this scene. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 8, verse 31, to give you an idea of where this idea of consumerism versus following Jesus happens, okay? So this is a story. This is a famous story. We, this is probably you're familiar with this story. So Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man, that's a title he uses for himself, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on and three days rise again. So there's a group of people following, and in the whole group of people that's following, there's a core group of 12. In the core group of 12, the first follower, his name is Peter. And so Peter finds out from Jesus, guess what? I'm the savior of the world. I'm the one that, I've been, you know, there's been prophecies in the Old Testament about me. The whole world's been waiting for me to show up. And now that I'm here, I'm going to tell you something, Peter. Um, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected, and I'm going to be killed. And at that point, Peter's like, but I'm your number one guy. Do you know the implications of that? So we start seeing that Peter kind of getting worried. Next verse. So he spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Jesus, I will never let you go and do that. I'm not going to let you die. I'm not going to let you get rejected. You know why? Now, at first, it sounds like Peter really genuinely cares about Jesus, right? Oh, I'm not going to let you do that because, you know, you're such a good guy, Jesus. I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you, you know, right? But Jesus sees right past that facade and realizes that the, the reason why Peter is saying no to Jesus at this point is for selfish reasons. And we can see that Jesus sees that in the next verse. He says this, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan, which is pretty harsh. He could have just said no, but he said, yeah, no one would have been fine, Jesus. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is what he's saying, okay? He's like, when you said that, Peter, if you genuinely meant what you said, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for worrying about me, but I know your heart. I know exactly why you said the things you just said. It's because deep down inside, if we were to take away all the masks and all the layers of, you know, fakeness away from you, this is what you're really saying. What's in it for me? He's basically saying, Jesus, Jesus, people already know me. I'm famous because of you, because I'm always hanging out with you. Like, people are coming up to me and wanting selfies with me. Like, I, everybody wants to be with me because, because they know that who you are. And if you get arrested, if you get rejected, if you end up being executed, guess who's next in line to get executed? Me. So please, I want to do everything I can to rebuke you to make sure that you don't go down this path. In other words, what he's saying is, what happens to you is eventually going to happen to me, so I care about what happens to you because I care about what's going to happen to me. Peter, at the core, is a consumer of Jesus. If something bad happens to him, then there's nothing in it for me, and therefore I want to make sure that that never happens. So Jesus picks up on this, and he starts rebuking Peter. Peter, what you, the, the thing that's in your mind right now, the heart of which this is coming out, this, it's not coming from a good place. I'm about to go and change the world. And the people who I want following me to want to go change the world are not people who are just looking for what's in it for them. Because we believe that the world is a better place when love flourishes. And if you don't want love to flourish, then I understand. But if you want love to flourish, then I need committed people for, on this mission. And Peter, right now, you're not committed because you are a consumer. The story continues, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their, cro their cross and follow me. There, there it is. He says, what I'm looking for are people who are following me. He says, you know what a disciple is? It's a person who's 
dedicated themselves to follow me. I'm looking for followers. And one of the descriptors of a follower, I'm going to highlight for you right here, next slide, deny themselves. People who are willing to deny themselves are the people who are my disciples. Now, what does it mean to deny yourself, right? To deny ourselves. Denying yourself is something that, whether you believe it or not, most of you have done it already. Like, you probably went to a restaurant, and your New Year's resolution is to eat healthier. And the dessert menu comes out, you look through it, and you're like, wow, everything at Cheesecake Factory is over 1,000 calories. I can't believe it. And it's just a small, slight smile, right? And you're going to say, mm, I'm going to deny myself of this pleasure. Denying yourself is, is, is basically your way of saying, I see what I want, but I'm going to say no to my own desires for the sake of something better. That's what denying yourself means, right? It means to say no to something that's a self-want. You see, a consumer is just looking for something that, that fulfills that desire inside of you. A follower of Jesus is a person who's basically saying, I'm willing to say no to the things that I desire for the sake of the things that... that might benefit me or uh, might benefit somebody else or benefit the bigger picture. So the fine print that Jesus is talking about here is this. The fine print is this. As a follower of Jesus, you may want to deny what, uh, that, that you, you're going to deny the things that you instinctively want. There's some things in life that you're just like, without even thinking, you're like, I want that. Right? Look at the new shiny thing. I want that. I want this. I want that. You know? And the things that you instinct, instinctively want, right? you have to sometimes say no to it because you're going to find out that it's going to be worth it for the bigger picture. It's going to be worth it later on. So, the question that Jesus is asking in this story so far is this. Are you a consumer or are you a follower? Are you a consumer or are you a follower? A consumer will always say yes as long as, that, as, long as you don't have to deny anything. A follower says yes even with the discomfort. So think about this, okay? Jesus is about to go and do something that's going to change history forever. He's going to go and demonstrate what true love looks like. And as he's on his way to make a difference in the world, he says, I'm, I'm basically heading my, you know, I'm basically going to Jerusalem right now. I'm about to go into the direction of where I'm going to be executed. This is where I'm going to die. And I'm looking for people to follow me into my execution. And if anybody along the way is going to say, nope, I don't want to be a part of this anymore and walk away, then the movement that I'm trying to start gets compromised. I'm looking for people who are committed because true love requires commitment. The difference between true love and just something that, that's like lust or just a fling or anything like that is that true love has a foundation of commitment. Whereas a fling or a lust or anything else is based in just feelings that come and go. And he says, I'm looking for people who are basically looking for something that's more solid, something that's more permanent. So now we're going to jump to the book of Luke. And we're going to start from verse 51 and then jump to today's verse because verse 51 sets up the scene for us. At the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up, Jesus being taken up, Jesus resolutely set up for Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, so up until now, he was hanging out in this place called Galilee. This is the place where in most of the book of Luke, all the way to chapter 9, he was hanging out in that one area. And then eventually, around verse 51-ish, right? He says, now I'm going to start heading towards Jerusalem because in Jerusalem is the place where I'm going to die on the cross. This is where I'm going to make my biggest statement ever. This is where I'm going to die on the cross for the people who need people, you know, who need to be saved. I'm the reason, like, the reason I'm here right now is so that I could go and fulfill this one big thing, the greatest act of love that ever, anyone's ever seen before. That's what I'm about to do. And I need people to follow me there. And if you're a consumer, you're going to compromise the movement. 
So I'm only looking for people who are committed to me, people who are committed to follow me. It's in that context that we read today's verse, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, Hey Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Like, okay. Jesus is like, okay, you know, for the last nine chapters, I've been looking for people to follow me. I am so glad that I don't have to reach out anymore. People are coming to me, asking me if, I, if they could follow me. This is great. I've been waiting for somebody to just come to me without invitation. This is wonderful. Okay. Now, that's what you think Jesus would say. But look at what Jesus says in the next verse. Jesus, he replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. So is that a thumbs up or is that a thumbs down? Like, can you give us a clear answer, Jesus? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I'm going to talk like this for the rest of the Bible. Okay, so, so this is what he's saying. If a fox goes out hunting, looking for, you know, whatever his dinner is going to be, right? After a long day of hunting, he has a place to come back to his den. A bird flies and finds some worm or whatever it is that they're looking for. It's going to fly back to his nest and rest for the night. Jesus is telling this guy, if you're, gonna, if you're saying you're going to follow me, don't expect to go home at night. We're about to go straight into the enemy territory. We're about to get killed. If you are planning on coming back home after this, then you shouldn't be following me. But Jesus, I thought you were trying to gather like a lot of people. I, th- I thought number was important. I thought you were trying to get as many people as possible. Jesus is like, yeah, it's pretty important to have a lot of people in this movement, but it's better to have a few people who are committed than people who are just here to, you know, to, to be consumers. That if, as, as long as there's something in it for me, then I'm going to keep going. As, as, as soon as there's something not in it for me, then I'm out. You know, like, I'm not looking for people like that. I'm looking for people who are saying, no matter what, I'm there with you till the very end. You see, at the heart of what this man, okay, who said, I want to follow you, uh, this man is saying is, in case this movement doesn't pan out the way that you said it's going to pan out, Jesus, I want to go home and go back to my family. I want to go home to my bed at night. In case this thing doesn't work out, at least I have a home that I could go back to. And Jesus says, no, it's all or nothing, buddy. So what's interesting about this Luke story is that Luke doesn't record for us the response of this man. Instead, he goes to the next guy. And I'll talk about why he doesn't give you the response later. So the next guy shows up, and Jesus says this. Follow me. So this time Jesus is inviting this new guy. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. So his father is dead. And he's like, let me please go and bury my father. Now, being compassionate, loving Jesus, you would probably say something like, go right ahead. Uh, you know, your family's important. But no, this is, this is like weird Jesus. He doesn't say that. He says this instead. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. What does he mean by this? Jesus, I, have some compassion here. I mean, somebody just died. I, can you please wait like a few days? Okay, in the cultural context, and I have to kind of explain the history here, from the year 100 B.C. to A.D. 100, so in the 200-year span, the Jewish culture had a special burial practice that happened for only those 200 years. So you take a dead body. So the, the custom was, once some, when somebody in your family dies, the first thing you do on that very day is you have to bury the person right away. You don't want to keep the body out, so you bury the body right away, right? And after that, you keep the body in the tomb for a year until the body decomposes so that there's only, what's only left is the, are the bones, and after the year passes, you take the bones and you put it inside of a little box and you put that in the tomb that you pull the body out of. So, 
So there's this one-year process in which from the day the person dies to the day that the second burial happens, there's this one-year thing. Scholars think that at this point, the father's already been buried, and the son was waiting for a year. So he was somewhere in that year process until that year came around so that he could actually rebury the bones. You see, because when you do that, you're considered to be a responsible son. And if you're a responsible son, that means that the inheritance that the father left for the son eventually goes to the son. Until you bury the bones away, the inheritance doesn't become his. So deep down inside, this is what the, the, this guy was thinking. He was thinking, if I could just, if Jesus, if you could just wait until I bury my father's bones, in case this whole movement doesn't pan out, in case this thing doesn't work out, because if it doesn't work out, at least I know I have a pile of cash waiting for me at home. You see, Jesus here is looking for, uh, not Jesus, this man right here is really looking for like a backup plan. In case this Jesus thing doesn't work out, at least I have something waiting for me at home. Same like the first guy. In case this thing doesn't work out, at least I have a home to go to. And Jesus says, no, I'm not looking for people like that. We're on our way. We're marching right into enemy territory to be killed. And I'm not looking for people who are saying, in case this thing doesn't work out. We're looking for people who are committed 100% to making sure that this world is identified by love. So Jesus at this point is saying this. If you follow me, you may forfeit your financial stability. You may not have a pile of cash waiting for you at home because chances are you might not be able to go home in the first place because you might die with me. This is the same issue that Peter showed in, in the book of Mark. Now, he's, now we see it with the other people in the group. Like Jesus is asking, are you a consumer or are you a follower? Which one are you? And then there's a third example. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family, which sounds pretty good, right? So what's Jesus' response? <laughs> you guessed it. Pretty rude. Here we go. <laughs> Jesus replied, no one puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So, you know, I don't know if how many of you guys plow, okay, but, okay, this is what plowing is, okay? So, it, if you're thinking it's like mowing the lawn, it kind of is, but it isn't. It's, it's similar in the sense that if you want to mow a lawn, you want to make sure you do it, go in rows, right? You, you mow the lawn, you turn around, you mow the lawn, and you have these clean stripes on the lawn. You know, that's, that's how you want to mow the lawn. At least that's what I think, because it looks nice after. Plowing is you're creating furrows in the dirt. And what happens, if you're, if you're plowing the, 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 the field, right, and you keep looking back, it's kind of like driving. You start to veer off to the side. Now, and if you're mowing the lawn, you, you, you just come back and clean up the patch that you missed, right? But in, in, in plowing, it's a little different. If you go and you start going crooked, when you go back and create the second row, you have to follow the, the row that you already create, the furrow that you already created. So basically, because the first time you, furrow, you created a furrow, uh, uh, when you plow the ground, it came out crooked, the rest of the field ends up being super crooked. Okay, so that's what, that, that's what he's talking about. So you guys know what I'm talking about. If you're driving and you're saying goodbye to your family as you're driving, you're probably going to hit a fire hydrant. You get what I'm saying here? Okay, so what Jesus is saying isn't that. It's, it's totally reasonable what he's saying here. He's saying, I'm looking for people who are always focused on the goal because what I'm about to do, yes, family is important. He's not saying that family is not important. He's not saying you should never say goodbye to your family. People who take this verse out of context would say, family is not important, only God, right? No, no, no. Family is very, very important. But in the given context where at this point in the story, 
Jesus is about to go marching. He's going to go right into enemy territory to be crucified. He's saying, I need people who are very, very laser-focused, that they're committed, that they're loyal, because if you're not, the future of this movement called Christianity is going to be completely compromised. I'm looking for people who are willing to be the foundation of this amazing movement. And if you're going to be distracted by your family, then I'm going to have to put you in the category of being a consumer. But believe it or not, what I'm about to do right now and what I'm asking you to do right now is is eventually going to benefit your family. But right now, I'm looking for people who are committed to me, people who aren't going to always be looking back at their families. I'm looking for somebody who is going to be focused on my one thing right now, which is to go to the cross and die for the world and demonstrate for the world what love looks like. What is Jesus saying here? He's saying, if you follow me, you may forfeit some relationships. And this is tough. For nine chapters, Jesus is trying to recruit people, and all of a sudden he's making it hard for people to follow him because he understands that there's something on the line that can never be compromised because if this gets compromised, then the rest of the world gets compromised. So what he's saying here is this. Being a Jesus consumer costs Jesus everything and us nothing. Because as soon as it gets hard, you're like, okay, I'm done. But being a Jesus follower will eventually cost us something. It'll eventually get to a point where you're going to have to deny some of the things that you instinctively want in your life. And uh, so I want to kind of focus on what that looks like. Because this is really important, okay? Because this thing that you start to deny isn't necessarily a wrong thing. Right? You're hanging out with a group of friends, and having friends is not a bad thing. You're, you know, you're up for a job, and, and you're like, that job is not a bad thing. Right? But, or you have a choice. You have a fork in the road. It's going path A, B, or C, and neither of those three choices are bad things. But what you instinctively think that you're supposed to go towards is the thing that you're going to have to say no to sometimes when you're following Jesus because sometimes it will feel like a moral imperative. Other people don't see it as a moral thing, but for some reason, deep down in your heart, you feel like this is, this is something I need to, I, you know, the whole world is going in this direction, but for this one thing, I can't go with the world. I have, to, I have to go in this direction. I don't know why. There's something inside of me that's telling me to deny myself. You know, I'm just going to go in this direction. And you can't explain why. And, and you're like, what? like before I follow, started following Jesus, before I committed myself to following Jesus, like, it was a no-brainer. I just went with the flow of the world. But all of a sudden, when I started following him, I felt like it's a more imp- I, I can't go in that direction anymore. I need to go this direction. And, and instead of doing what I've always done, I need to do something else. And when you start realizing that, when everybody else is like, Kotz, you used to do this with us. You're not doing this with us anymore. What's going on? I thought we were friends, right? <laughs> right? And at that point, it's going to feel like a death of some sorts. Death to my financial stability. Because when I, when I started following Jesus, I, I, I started becoming more generous. And now I'm not as financially stable as I used to be. It feels like a death. Or before, I would just go with whoever would accept me. But now I'm more selective of who I hang out with because I know that hanging out with the wrong crowd could actually corrupt my soul. I, I, I need to make sure that, I, you know, and you have to say no to some of the invitations that you get. And you're like, it feels like a death. Like everything that I used to say yes to, I'm starting to say no to. And... It hurts sometimes. Uh, What's going on, right? And then 
it might feel like a moral imperative, it might feel like a death, but eventually it will feel like a new creation. For some reason, you do the thing that, that, that just deep in your heart, you just felt like this is what God wants me to do. So you, you, you said no to the thing that you would usually say yes to, and you started saying yes to the things that God has called you to do, and it felt like a death, but in doing so, you feel like the world was a little brighter now. Or you feel like there's more hope in the world because you did that one thing. Like this death brought about a new life, and that's what the resurrection is, right? For some reason, when you say no to something that feels like death, something beautiful comes out of it. And that's when you know, that's what, like, oh, that's what Jesus was talking about. That's, what, that's why he wants me to commit to things like this. That's why I have to deny myself because without denial, there isn't something new and beautiful to come out of the ground. Uh, so I have a few examples of this. Um, all these are true stories. Like, I won't tell you a fake story, so I don't know why I said that, but okay. So years ago, uh, when I was at UCLA, I remember talking to this person who actually had, I was like, hey, what are you going to do when you graduate? And he was like, well, actually, I have a job lined up for me, right? Like, I, I, I talk, this guy was talking to some really big name uh, cable company. And he's basically said, uh, you know, I had an interview, and right when I graduate, they want to hire me. I'm like, oh, that's great. What do you do? It's like, well, you know, I just, I assure, I just make sure that, that the content that's going from this building into the world is, is like a clear signal. I'm going to make sure. So I, basically, it's a job where I sit in front of a bunch of TV screens, and so I look at all these shows to make sure that there's no glitches in the show so that if there's something happens, I could, you know, address it. That's my job. I'm like, oh, that's a pretty cool job. How, you know, and I ask, how much does it pay? He's like, that's a lot of money. That's great. You know, you're pretty much set. He's like, yeah, but... No, I haven't accepted a job yet. I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like, well, in the job description, you know, I'm going to be watching, like, kids shows over here and then the news over here. And on the very left screen is adult content. And I, at the interview, I told him, like, I don't know what it is, but I just can't allow myself to watch this. I feel like my soul is getting darker when that's, even if it's in the corner of my eye, I just feel like it's not good for me. It's not illegal, you know, but... For some reason, it just feels like it's not good for me. That was his moral imperative. And the interviewer said, you know, that's really weird because of all the people we've interviewed, you're the first person ever to bring this up as a problem. And as I was talking to this guy, he said, you know, Kotz, I think I'm going to turn down the job. It felt like a death. He had security. He had a job lined up. But after he said no... There was this new life. Like, the world was brighter because he made the choice. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Right? It's like this idea of, I just did something right even though it wasn't, like, I don't know what it is. Uh, here's another example. At one of the past churches I served in, there's a person who worked at a beer company. And, you know, beer's not bad in itself. If you're underage, then it's always bad. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, he became a follower of Jesus while he was working there. And as he was working there, he starts to learn, okay, and I'm not saying if you work at a beer company, it's a bad thing, but, but as he was working there, he started hearing these stories about, oh, this person died of, of, of drunk driving, or this person is, is an alcoholic, or this person, and he started hearing all these stories about people's lives being destroyed because the misuse of alcoholic beverages. Now, He's not going to go around telling people everybody should just quit their job, but this person felt like, I've been working here for 20 years, and now I'm a follower of Jesus, and I just can't get myself to go to work and make something that's contributing to the death of many, many people in the world. Again, 
I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just for this person, that became that person's imper- his, his, his moral imperative. He's like, all of a sudden he felt like, I can't get myself to go to work and support this organization. And so he quit after 20 years. And he said, it felt like a death because that's the only thing I knew how to do because I did it for so long. But on the other side of it, he said, I felt like the world was filled with hope again. Like the world was a better place. That I came into this world into this world that was given to me, and now if I were to die eventually, that I'm going to be leaving this world, and the world is going to be a little better because of the decision I made. I don't know by how much, but he said that I felt like I was contributing to the new creation. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's to have a calling in your heart to do something that you feel like everybody else is like, well, I don't understand why you made that decision, but you're like, I don't know, but for me, I just feel like this is the moral imperative. I have to do this. And it's going to feel like a death, but when you do that, you're going to be so glad that you did. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a lifelong relationship. And after a while, you start realizing, I keep getting in trouble when I'm with this, with this person. I, maybe this person is not a good influence on me. Maybe it's time that I start influencing that person. Or maybe it's time to say goodbye to this relationship. I don't know what it is for you, but everybody... If you're a committed follower of Jesus, the minute you come, at the fork of the, come to the fork on the road and you're like, this side leads to life, this side leads to death, but because I'm a consumer, I'm just going to stick to what's easiest. But a follower would say, I am willing to experience this, this death for the sake of heaven on earth. So Jesus in this story isn't really saying, I'm going to make it as hard as possible for you to follow me. He's not saying that. It seems like, you know, there's three people who came, said, I want to follow you, and he's like, nope. <laughs> you can't do those things before you follow me. You just have to follow me. It sounds like Jesus is making it incredibly hard for you to follow. But what he's really doing here is, I want to make sure that you're committed to me. He's basically saying, I don't want you to follow me because you are a consumer of me. I want you to follow me because you are a follower. You're a dedicated follower of Jesus. So the question still stands, is, which is this. Will you follow me? Not will you be a consumer of me. He's saying, will you follow me? And when you do, and you experience that death, and it's going to be a cycle of deaths. Today, you might have to die to something today and deny something today, and you're going to overcome that, and then you're going to find new life there. And then eventually, there's something else that you're going to have to die to, and it's going to be this repetition over and over until there's more and more of heaven on earth. But when you follow Jesus, it will change you. Little by little. It's going to change you. For every time you feel a death and a rebirth, you're going to be changed little by little. And as you change little by little, you're going to start to discover that the world around you is starting to change little by little. And as you start to see the world change around you little by little, you're going to start to experience heaven on earth together little by little. And that is what Jesus is looking for. He's looking for people who are committed, not people who are consumers, people who are willing to stick through it through every single type of death that you have to experience. Because Jesus says, this movement that I'm starting, it's going to change the world. And I don't want it to be compromised. So I want to make sure that if you're in it, you're in it for the long haul. And so the question still stands. So will you follow me? And this is a question that each individual has to answer for themselves. Some of you have already said yes to this question. Will you follow me? You're like, yeah, I said yes 10 years ago, and I still say yes today. 
That's, that's great. Some of you have been Jesus consumer. I come to church. I, I'm a Jesus follower because of, you know, all the benefits and the perks that come with it. And I heard you go to heaven if you follow Jesus. You know, I've heard that. You get blessings and I don't know, you know, right? Maybe it's time that we start thinking about, well, what, what cost am I willing to pay to follow Jesus? What sacrifice am I willing to make? How many deaths am I willing to die for the sake of this movement? And this is that question that Jesus asked, and this is the thing that we all have to wrestle with. Amen? All right, let's pray.